0: Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Alright, good morning. We're on air. Can you hear me? No. There, how's that? Good morning, we're on air. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Amen. Well, well it works most of the time. <laughs> uh, this song that we're about to sing encapsulates the reason that we're here today every reason that we have to come together and to sing and to pray and to celebrate, to rejoice, to give our lives to something bigger than ourselves. And that was Christ. Christ died and was raised again. That we were once dead in our sins and that we are now raised to life in Christ. So I'm going to invite you to stand up if you're able and willing to for the first two songs. And let's sing together. worthy of that and so much more Lord you're worthy to be the king of our heart. I don't do it that often <laughs> except when I'm up here so I apologize for that
1: <laughs>
0: uh, well I have a couple questions for you have you ever doubted God have you ever doubted him and then and then felt guilty about it do you ever feel like you don't recognize God at work in your life or in the world like you just feel kind of oblivious to it and then you even then maybe even wonder if God is at work at all. Well, take heart, because so did John the Baptist. And Jesus said, there is no one like John the Baptist on the face of the earth. Wow, what a compliment. And he was the one who was in jail, ready to be killed, and sent his disciples out to Jesus and said, are you, I want to know, I've got to know, are you the one who is to come or should I expect somebody else? There he is. The faith of a man greater than anybody else on the face of the earth. Um, And so Jesus answered them and he said, give John this report. The blind see again, the crippled walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, and the poor and broken now hear of the hope of salvation. And tell John that the blessing of heaven comes to those who are not offended over me. So every now and then God reminds us And we need reminding that he's at work in this world. And and sometimes it's undeniable, undeniable miracles. And sometimes we simply just miss the day-to-day miracles around us, too. And we miss the miracle within us that is life in Christ, that we have been raised to life, that we were once blind, but now we see. And that if we quiet ourselves and we settle ourselves down and we are attentive, we will hear the voice of God. That is a miracle in and of itself. Nobody wants to waste their life. John the Baptist didn't want to waste his life. He wanted to know, is this? am I wasting my life? Am I putting my hope in something that is false? So let's allow God to remind us today that he is real, that he is working, that you are changed because of him, that we are his children and miracles are happening all the time around us and within us. So Lord, give us eyes to see. We, we confess that we need reminding. And thank you for doing just that. For sending out your messengers, however they come to us, reminding us that you are still opening blind eyes, deaf ears, and changing hearts. And your kingdom is ruling and reigning in this world right now. So we invite you to rule and reign in our hearts. Amen. Rewind. serve a God like that, that you are a big mystery. and that you are faithful and we bank our lives on it. Sometimes we may doubt but we come back to it. That you are the God who saves, heals, restores. To that we say, Amen. I would ask the ushers to come forward and prepare to take our offering. I was watching a video this week, and uh, there was a man who called every single morning, a million dollar morning, and he said, he asked the question, Would you be happy and excited if I handed you a million dollars right now? Would anyone here be excited? Yes, you would. Would anybody out there be able to ruin your day? Probably not. (laughs) After that. And then he asked the question, would you take the million if I told you that you couldn't wake up anymore? And of course, nobody would take that deal. So he said, it's a shift in perspective. This morning when you woke up, it was worth more than a million dollars. But we're not as grateful for some reason or excited when we wake up as if someone hands us a million dollars. Why? Well, it's because we wake up every morning and we have problems and things that we have to face and do and and all of that. But it is a shift of perspective and it's all about gratitude. He used the word gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And when we focus on gratitude, everything shifts. And problems become opportunities. Now that sounds like a motivational speaker right there. Yeah, problems become opportunities. But isn't that what God told us them too? But it sounds, you know, um, so whether we can give this morning or we, we aren't able to give, whatever we do and whatever we are able to give in this life, let it be because and let it flow out of gratitude. It's a shift in perspective. Because there is, the truth is, there's no amount of money, right, that we would be willing to trade or that we would be, able, be willing to accept were we not able to wake up that morning? So um, I just bring that to us as a uh, as a thought this morning, as we give, and um, that we that we be grateful in everything we we give, in our time, talents, resources, and in every way possible. So ushers, and then I'm going to, as the ushers pass the buckets, so I'm going to invite uh, Kelly and Jared up here.
2: Good morning, everyone, and good morning to everybody with us on live stream. We have come to the place in the year where it's back to school time. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed feelings about that? I don't know. My husband's a teacher, and we're not yet allowed to talk about that yet, but that's okay. Um, But it is back to school time, and we would like to pause this morning, Jared and I and and, um, all of us here, to... Pray for you and encourage you. Those of you who are going back to school as students, be it in kindergarten or adult education, we would like to honor teachers and anybody that works within the school system, school board members, um, servers of good food, anything with uh, that has to do with school. So we're going to ask you to come up. Uh, we do this every year, and we're doing this a little bit earlier this year. So please come up uh, if you work in a college or preschool. Um, If you go to college or preschool or elementary or junior high, come on up with us. We have a few words of encouragement for you and prayers. Look at this fine group of educators and learners. That's great. You know, I I teach at Millersville as well, and so I know that this time of the year, for those of us getting ready to go back, and I feel like I'm I'm gonna come down here. I'll turn my back to all of you, so forgive me for a second, but I know that it's a time of new beginnings, right? It's a time when we, like, I'm in the midst of trying to plan, and what's it gonna look like, and and, um, we've had a few curveballs thrown at us in the last year, right? With education and learning, and um, we don't know what this year is gonna bring. But one thing we do know for sure is that God's with us, and will walk with us through whatever curveballs come our way. So I want to remind us of that, and I want to offer you a thought, a charge to each one of you as you go into whatever your roles are, student, learner, uh, worker, um, teacher, whatever. So this is based on how we can be the light. Where are my two little friends? Come up here closer. Oh, come on, Jared. I won't make you speak, I promise. Okay, that's all right. We'll give you that. That's all right. Um, so this is, this is my charge to you, and something to think about as you move forward in your, uh, in your beginnings of the school year. Go into the world, your schools and your homes, and be Christ's light, because that is what we carry within us, Christ's light. So go and be that. Let your lights not be diminished in the midst of change. Let them find ways to shine even brighter and be love to all. Be love to all, and all means all. Be the light of patience when days are long, when technology does not work. Everybody have a few challenges with that? Excuse my back to all of you, but when technology does not work, be patient. When new ways of doing things are hard, because we've run into some difficulties and some hard, but God's with us, so be light and love in that. Be the light to shine on new ideas and new ways of learning. Be thankful for the lights of others who work hard to create fun and engaging and challenging ways to lead all of us. Be the light of joy for a new school year and new friends and new ways of learning because you are the light of the world. You truly are. So go into the world and shine bright with kindness, patience, energy, and love. And that is my hope for each of you, that uh, you carry that light of Christ into whatever the next months and year bring for all of us. And Jared's going to offer a prayer for us.
3: Thanks, Kelly. Okay, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for these people. Uh, thank you so much for the amazing creations that you've made. Uh, these people that are before us, and as they go forward and think about their future, and train and prepare and learn and grow for what is to come. Father, I just we just come to you in gratitude for the people that we are, and for what you've given us, and the. As Sean said, the opportunities that are coming, uh, Father. I know that um, there's a ton of things that we could pray for in the coming year, uh, but I, I think I'd like to hit just the 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 physical stuff to begin with, Father. And in, in this year, just I pray for safety, safety physically from everything that might happen this year, uh, safety from uh, from everything that's out there that we've learned in the last year. Father, just give us the give us the faith in you to face what we need to face to go out into the world and to be able to learn and do our jobs and go to school and put our heart into it. So Father, give us that safety. And then Father, I also pray that that you'll be with us in more than just that, that we'll know that you're there in our heart, in our, in our soul, in our spirit, and that you give us a spirit of gratitude to see you even in all the good times that are going to come this year and all the with all the ups and all the good grades father i know i hope that that we'll see you and how you helped us get there and then father i think i really am just feeling that in the coming year that we would know that you're there with us in the hard times and when when things come that we have a gratitude that you've given us these opportunities to have faith in you so that when bad grades come or drama comes in school or things are hard on in meetings, that we would realize that the reason we're here is because of you, that we have hope that you will take us to a new place, that you will that you've brought us to where we're supposed to be, that we're here to serve these these children that we're here to become better people so father i pray that in the good and the bad that we turn to you and we are grateful that you are here for us and father i pray for that faith in the coming year in your name we pray amen i always forget i always forget okay i got this so distracted so uh, I am also supposed to make sure that if you are a children and youth, you are now dismissed to go to your classes. And I'm supposed to introduce Tony and Joanne, my mom. It's weird to call her Joanne, uh, to, come, <laughs> to come up and give us our message. Yep.
4: It gets a little awkward there, doesn't it, Jared? <laughs> uh, I think I get set up here a little bit
5: really interesting when you're in the middle of worship and there's some things that God wants to say and you're trying to put them in your notes and there's no time. So I'm just going to trust that when I get to that part, it's going to come out.
4: <laughs> Why do you always get to stand on the good side of the platform here? What do you mean? Because well, you know,
5: I'm on the right side.
4: Ugh. At least this way. <laughs> but from their perspective, I'm on the right side.
5: I know, and that's the problem, isn't it? No. <laughs>
4: Well, at least I have the good-looking people on my side of the Oh,
5: well, uh, you know what? I'll go with
4: that. <laughs> Has anyone had a silly argument lately? I was trying to provoke one, but we can't we can have we arguments, can't even, but, but no, we can't we, have a silly
5: argument. We've silhouette. had arguments, right? But <laughs> yes. it has to be in the moment.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and ours usually are a little more serious than, uh, than, right. than that. Anyone have one recently? Well, we actually still have the microphone available. I'd love to hear a good story if you've had a silly argument. Something, anyone maybe this morning, it's amazing how many arguments take place well, as people are getting ready for church or on the way to church. Um, Mom, he won't let me be! You know. <laughs> Okay, think about that a little bit. We just, you know, I'm a professor, so that's why I was standing up here. I hear silly arguments recently. so, But I also know how to do research. So assuming that you guys wouldn't necessarily have stories available, I did some research online and found some silly arguments to share with you. So let's i got my list here to look at. Yeah, well, let's just go with them. Uh, um, Yeah, (laughs) it's cereal soup. Have you ever thought about that? Does it matter? How about this next one here? One time, these are people telling their own stories. One time, my wife and I were arguing. Eventually, we arrived at the same point. Argument done. But instead of ending it, we started arguing about how confusing the other's argument was to begin with and why it caused us to argue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whose fault was it? That, that argument we just had. Uh, that's pretty silly. What else do we have here? Uh, I my class kept arguing. I love this one. Space couldn't be a vacuum because if it was, we'd all get sucked out. <laughs>
1: There's
4: a point there, isn't there? I want to have an argument with somebody about that. That one, that one sounds good to me. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, a heated debate with a friend over whether Cheetos were chips. Have you ever thought about that? After an hour of yelling, they called Frito Lay headquarters. <laughs> 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 hey, well, I don't know, are your Fritos chips or not? <laughs> no, problem <laughs> died. Okay, uh, what else do we have here? Oh, this one I, I was was both sad and, and and funny. My daughter came around to the house crying and bleeding. Apparently, she and her friend had just come to blows over how big the friend's imaginary friend was. <laughs> no your friend can't be that big anyway uh, I think we have at least one more here it's kind of a a cereal soup or sandal shoes what do you think would you argue with somebody over that well I think that was the last one isn't it okay we see here at least three kinds of arguments arguments over definitions where the answer depends on what you mean by the word you use This a sandal or shoe it depends on how you define shoe and then there are arguments over preferences. The answer depends on what you prefer. Is Diet Coke better than Diet Pepsi? I've heard people argue over that. And then there are arguments over reality, where there really is a correct answer. You can argue as much as you want about what 2 plus 2 equals, but it isn't going to change the reality of 4. Although there are some YouTube videos that would suggest otherwise, but enjoy Now, those are silly examples, but there are some really serious arguments going on in our world right now, aren't there? And they're splitting families. Mm -hmm. And they're splitting churches. And they're splitting communities. And they're splitting nations. We've seen quite a few of those lately. And to be honest, sometimes those arguments really do matter. They're over things that are serious, that are important. And we've got to somehow find a way to sort out maybe healthier ways than what we've been doing, but we need to do that. We need to talk through and make decisions, and arguing, depending on how you define that, is part of the process. But it's really gotten difficult, and one of the reasons it's gotten difficult of late, I would suggest, you can disagree with me, you can have an argument with me on this, I don't care, uh, is that we've, <laughs> lost the, we've lost the ability to distinguish between what's serious and what's silly. Yeah because much of what we do argue about is definitions and preferences, not reality. But the problem is we think it's reality, and therefore becomes very serious, and therefore we're willing to go to the mat on everything. And it's tempting to think then that the people we're arguing with are living in unreality. I'm the only one that sees clearly, and the rest of you, or whoever's arguing with me, you're fools, you're idiots, you're blind. You're deceived. Yeah. Or you're evil. And if you're evil, then I can treat you as something less than human, right? It's not just about arguing. It's not just arguing that we've been doing poorly of late, however. We seem to also have lost much of the ability to have helpful conversations in general. Conversations that enlighten and enlarge us. Conversations that make us laugh. Much of what passes for the conversation today is uh, is a series of monologues. Do you know what I mean? One person gives a speech for a while and then the other one does. And there's no back and forth. There's no clarity emerge. We just speechify each other. That's a lot of what social media is. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Or worse, sometimes the whole purpose of conversation seems to be to diminish, to demean, or to divide. To accusations and anger. Putting somebody in their place. Nothing good comes out of that, except maybe making me feel better. And there is that common temptation to make every conversation about me. Directing every topic back to me, allowing me to crow about how good I am, or how tough I have it, you wouldn't understand. You think that's something, let me tell you what I've had to deal with. They've actually got a word for these people now, they're conversation narcissists. (laughs) That's a great word. And there's actually you know, like that one. Me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's actually inventories that you can take to find out if you're a conversation narcissist. And if you are, you probably want to take one and tell people about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the world is in need of healthy conversations, right? Good, healthy conversations are cooperative, not competitive. They're healing. They're not hurting. They're life-giving, not death-dealing. Yes. And who better, this is where the compliment comes in, who better than followers of Jesus to model that to the world? Isn't this one of the advantages we have? We would think so, right? But here's where the caution comes in. Seriously, how many people out there This day, these days, in this generation, in 2021, think of Christians as good conversation partners on serious matters. I'd love it for the answer to be great. I'd love for the fact that people out there say, hey, I disagree with you Christians, but you're good people to talk to. I feel like you really listen to me. You understand what's going on, and you treat me with respect. And even if we disagree, I I, I think that you're the kind of people that we want to have in the room when we talk about things that matter. I'd love it if the world was saying that. Yeah, they're not. Christians aren't saying that about each other. Why is that? See, the truth is that the world needs Christians engaged in all the important conversations going on right now. Yep. Now is not a time to be silent. Right. But they need us to do it well. They need us to do it in a way that is not just adding to the anger and frustration and confusion and division. They need us to do it in a way that is actually pointing forward to something better. Maybe even pointing downward. What's going on underneath? That's where I spend a lot of my time talking. It's not about the stuff that we're reading in the news. That matters. But it matters on one level. And I have opinions on that. But as a pastor, what I want to do is point people to what's going on underneath the surface. Where God is involved, where the deeper issues are that are percolating up all across the political spectrum, all across society, in different ways from different groups of people. And Christians are the ones who ought to be able to see that, to see what those hidden dynamics are, to see what God is doing, to point the way forward to something better in a way that people can hear in a way in which we too can do some hearing and some growing. Sorry, I'm I'm taking too much time here, but I guess I'm passionate on this
5: Well, I think we both do. I think we all do. See, and that's why today we're starting a a new series called Living Conversations. It's a series about how we can have meaningful conversations with others about some of life's big questions and issues, especially with those who don't share our faith. But again, We have to have some of those conversations with people who do share our faith, right? And we wanna do it with integrity. We don't want to invite them to follow Jesus in ways that cause them to question whether we're truly following him. You can't preach love, you can't preach, oh God loves you unconditionally and accepts you, when you're not doing that. We wanna do this with integrity. In this series, then, we're going to look at scripture for wisdom. Listen, not only about the content of our conversations, but also the context. What does that mean? We want to look at the scriptures. We want to look at the example of Jesus to learn not only what to say, but how to say it. So this morning, we are starting with three conversations that Jesus had. Jesus Isn't that what he did a lot? Most of the time, he just kind of walked around and had conversations. We're going to look at three of those conversations that Jesus had in the Gospel of John. We're not going to read them all because we don't have time this morning, but these are three conversations that most of you are already very familiar with. We're not going to read or unpack them all here. It's just an introduction. But what we're going to see is each of these conversations illustrates in different ways something that is absolutely key to us having healthy conversations ourselves
4: and what could happen if we do this by the way is i think right now in the world this is like the best evangelism opportunity we've had in a generation. if we can if we can get our act together and do it <laughs> and by the way you're good folks you know how to do this stuff better than most So we want to encourage you into that. So how how do we do this? Okay, the first story is a famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now, this conversation, if you actually read it, not just individual verses of it, can drive you batty. (laughs) It does not look like a good conversation to begin with at first glance. Nicodemus sneaks in at night, visits Jesus, and says, in essence, Hey, Jesus, I've been wondering about you, (laughs) whether you're for real or not. But I've also been looking at the evidence. I've been sorting things through, and, and I'm almost ready to believe you. Now, it sounds like he might go on because there's no question here yet. He's just talking, but Jesus, it looks like Jesus interrupts him and says, Actually, Nicodemus, um, you must be born again. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Do you know this Latin phrase, non sequitur? It means does not follow. <laughs> I see an awful lot of non-sequiturs in conversations these days. I have some of those conversations. Nice weather today. Yeah, I believe all politicians are idiots too. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? <laughs> this conversation with Nicodemus is like that. Hey, I think you might be actually from God. Be born again, Nicodemus. Uh, what? <laughs> it seems to have no connection at all to what he's saying, but Jesus keeps at it. So what's going on here? This is, this is what I think. What Nicodemus wanted is what many people want in their conversations. He wanted affirmation that he was right. Uh He wanted the person he was talking to, Jesus in this case, to say, yep, yep, Nicodemus, that's it. You've got it right on, dude. Tell it like it is. A lot of people, like i said, doing that on social media, post something just to get a lot of affirming responses, just to get people to say, yes, yes, you're right. Confirm them in their opinions. And the thing is... No matter how weird or disconnected from reality an idea is, the world is a big place. And there's always someone out there, likely someone in my group of friends, <laughs> who will agree with me that one eyed, one horned, flying purple people eaters are what's wrong with the world right now. <laughs> if I'd post that, I'd probably get, you know, somebody would say, uh, and, and, and give me the affirmation. And that's why for Nicodemus and many others, Including some of us, getting someone to agree feels like proof. That's uh-huh. so what he wants Jesus to do for him to give him cut and dried evidence, to assure him that he was right. Because being right really matters to a lot of us, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Being right feels good. And whenever we're wondering if we're right or not, what do we do? We put something out there, and people will say, Yeah, 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 you're right. And it feels good, right? <laughs> now let's not pick on Nicodemus too much he actually becomes one of the good guys in the biblical um, story but but at this moment jesus wants to give him something better than proof the kind of proof that he Nicodemus doesn't give him is just
5: the, a simple answer yeah he doesn't play his game
4: yeah he wants to give him something better than this temporary feeling of being right so, Jesus instead gives him a metaphor. <laughs> I love metaphor. What's a metaphor? <laughs> yes. What's it for? Anyway, be born again. That's a, that's a metaphor. And Nicod- this is hilarious. Nicodemus can't handle the metaphor. He wants <laughs> it to be <laughs> black and white. He's so stuck in literal thinking that he immediately tries to imagine physical rebirth. Um, um, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I I really don't think... He actually says this. I really don't think I can fit into the birth canal anymore. Seriously. He's hilarious. That he's so literal in his thinking because that's what he wants. He just wants proof that he's right.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And it does prove a point. Jesus' point. Which is that while some things indeed are either or, the deeper things of God have a bit more mystery about them. Yes, we do need to be born again. Not with our bodies, but with our spirits.
5: Yeah.
4: And Nicodemus doesn't just need confirmation for his mind that God is at work in the world. That's what he wants Jesus to give him. But he needs a transformation of his heart. Yes. That's why Jesus is inviting him into. And that's, that's harder to prove. It's harder to explain. Mm-hmm. It's something he has to actually experience. Yeah. And not just think through. Yeah. And Jesus is inviting him to do so.
5: Yeah, Tony, you remind me of something I was praying about all of this several months ago, and just three words that came up in my spirit that information is not transformation.
4: Yeah, I think you've yeah. shared that yeah. with us one yeah. Sunday. Information, yeah. information does not is buy us. not itself.
5: transformation.
4: So Jesus helps him and helps us with another example. It's a really good example. It's one that works for us, works for him, or works for us too. He says, God's like the wind. I hear Patrick Swayze singing in the background there a little bit, she's like the wind. <laughs> anyway, uh, God's like the wind. You know the wind is real. You've seen a tree sway. When it blows, you feel it against your skin. You've experienced wind, but you've never seen it, have you? You can't predict mm. where it's going, when it's gonna blow or from what direction. Yeah. You don't know where the wind goes after it blows on past you. You can prove very little about wind without scientific instruments and things that were not available in Nicodemus' day. But we don't have that available. We just experience you can't prove it, but you believe in it anyway. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you felt its power. I was walking in Spain a couple weeks ago. There were some days when the wind was so strong that despite as heavy as I am, I was getting blown back a couple steps every once in a while. I'm carrying this pack with me and the wind is just whipping across this hill and I'm, it's very real. It had a lot of force. I believed in the wind. I couldn't see it and I couldn't prove it. That's the life of the spirit. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Now don't get me wrong. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what Jesus is saying here. I'm just trying to summarize here. This is not a call to give up verifiable, provable things. They still matter. Two plus two still equals four. And there are still clear-cut right and wrong. Yes. The invitation from Jesus is to also see and honor the invisible things of the Spirit, which are just as real, but seen through different eyes. And just as true, even if the best words for them are often metaphors.
1: Yeah.
4: Or no words at all. Sometimes, indeed, there's no way to explain it. All we get left is to live it out. Mm -hmm. And we simply, in our lives, or maybe in our words, point others to him, for he himself is the way.
5: Yeah. Second conversation. Jesus initiates this second conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well in John chapter 4. Unlike Nicodemus, this woman didn't approach Jesus under cover of darkness. She just ignored him right there in broad daylight. Because women weren't supposed to talk to men in public. So here she is at the well. And he, or Jesus is there and here she comes to the well. And she's not supposed to initiate a conversation with him. She's not supposed to talk to him at all. Especially women like her. Women who were deemed so immoral and so shameful that they couldn't even be near the other women to draw water in the cool of the morning. No, that's the reason this woman is at the well alone in the scorching noonday sun. Jesus, of course, now, he does not feel obligated ever to follow human rules which contradict his father's mind, character, and heart. But he's sitting there, and he's tired And he's thirsty. So he starts this conversation with this woman with a simple request. Would you give me some water? Ooh, have you been here? Immediately the woman's pain and frustration are gushing out all over him. Why are you talking to me? You're a Jewish man. I'm just a second-class Samaritan woman, right? What could I possibly give you? Notice. Jesus does not get defensive or walk away from her, going, I had somebody do that to me the other day. Jesus, does he take offense? We sang about that in one of the songs. Who wants offense? Why do we take offense when offense is something nobody wants? Jesus doesn't get offended and put her in her place. He understands, like Tony was saying, under... He's seeing something else in her. He understands that she's actually not reacting to him at all. He's a stranger. She doesn't even know him. She's reacting out of the painful realities of her own life. So he doesn't react to her reaction. He doesn't react angrily to her words and her attitude. He responds. Compassionately to the real issues that are behind her reaction. He says, If you only knew who I am, you'd be asking me for living water. You know that scripture verse, a gentle answer turns away anger. Jesus is gently inviting her to shift her focus from physical water and physical appearances to the deeper spiritual reality, and like Nicodemus, she's confused. She's like, wait a minute, how can you give me water without a bucket? All right, how am I supposed to crawl back up inside my mom? How are you gonna give me water without a bucket? What is, and what is living water anyway? Are you claiming to be, and then she gets defensive, are you claiming to be better than Jacob? It's his well, and even he had to use a bucket. Again, Jesus just answers her question. He said, I'm simply wanting to give you water that will satisfy your deepest thirst from a flowing well that will never run dry within you. Now, at that point, she's drawn in. Yes, I'd like that. Because then I wouldn't have to come here in shame every day. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's honoring and respecting the one who's been treated with dishonor and disrespect. He's speaking directly, directly to her pain and shame, to her wound. And since she's the one who mentions not wanting to live in shame anymore, I really want that, Then I wouldn't have to come here. He goes right, he's following her. He goes right there with her. Basically, he says, you know what? I know everything about you. I know your circumstances. But here's the thing. You're more than your circumstances. Yes. And now this woman, she's utterly confused. Utterly. Wait a minute. Wait. You know all this, and you still want to give me living water? So now she's the one going to the heart of the matter. Basically, what's under? What's, what's going on in her? Wait a minute, God wants to be that kind to me? How can that be? Your side, the Jews, separated yourselves from us Samaritans a long time ago because we don't worship God in the right way. Now, are you telling me your side is is suddenly wrong? Which side is the right side? And again, Jesus doesn't argue with her. He doesn't say, oh, here's my opportunity, pounce. He's not trying to prove anything. He doesn't even apologize. He just pours living water all over her. He's, it's not about sides. It never has been about sides. It's not following the right external rules or being good enough to worship God. It's about actually knowing God. It's about knowing the God you worship and you don't, but I do. And the time is coming when the physical location of temples and church buildings won't matter anymore. Because Because true worship is gonna flow like a river from the hearts of everyone who knows God and worships in spirit and truth. This is powerful stuff. She's with him. And she says, I know Messiah's gonna come and do that someday. What's he say? Well, Messiah is standing right here in front of you, offering you living water. And she received it. How do we know that? Because she left her bucket behind and ran full speed toward the very people who had rejected and shamed her. What she's not seeing sides anymore. She's running through that wall that used to be there because she sees what's true and what's really real. And she wants only that they would all come to the only one who knows everything. Get that. There's only one who knows everything. And it's not any human being on the face of the earth. No one knows everything, otherwise they'd be God. Come to the one who knows everything about me, knows everything about everyone, and wants restored relationship with us anyway. What did she want? She, Nicodemus wanted to know he was right. She knew she wasn't right. She just wanted to know which side to stand on, which side is right. What did Jesus offer her? An invitation to look past the sides that we humans create and choose relationship, living relationship, with the one who tears down every ungodly dividing wall that we humans erect and accepts in love anyone and everyone who worships God in spirit and truth. Why? Because that's recognition that Jesus himself is not only the way, but the truth as well.
4: One more conversation, and we'll pull it together with some principles here. Third one is between Jesus and some of his disciples in chapter nine, but it's about someone else. Nicodemus is about himself. The one with the, the woman at the wells is about herself. But they, they they stumble across a blind man. Now he's the, he's the subject of the conversation. Blindness, by the way, is a tough enough burden to bear in their world. There were a few things that you could do to earn a living while you're blind. There's no braille. There's no audio recordings. No handicapped accessible accommodations. But what made it worse was the assumption that blindness was a curse for wrongs committed. Innocent people didn't go blind. Only guilty people did. Uh Wow. That's what they thought. But this guy had been born blind. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: Wow. That presents an intellectual challenge. It wasn't, what did he do wrong in the womb? Can you commit sin in the womb? Disciples were a little stuck by that one. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was his parents, and they were guilty, and God had punished them by giving them a blind son. They say, is God like that? Is your God like that? (laughs) They brought this question to Jesus. The question is, who's to blame? Yeah. Think about it. Has any question been asked more often than that one? Not. When things go wrong, isn't that the first thing that's asked? Who's at fault? Who's responsible? Who can we be angry at for messing things up? Here's another one that's very, very real right now. There is a mm-hmm. great anger out there in the world. I used to say it's seething just beneath the surface, and every once in a while it pops up. It's not below the surface anymore. It is just out there front and center. It shows up in our politics. It shows up in our families. It shows up in our churches. It shows up in nearly every area of life doesn't take much at all anymore to provoke an angry response you've a very innocent question you poke the bear a little bit and suddenly you get hit with this
1: yeah
4: i've been noticing a lot in traffic <laughs>
5: <laughs> the one and the only thing that was good about lockdown
4: and i tend to be like you know Assertively pursuing my <laughs> my path through. Are you going to confess
5: before the congregation?
4: <laughs> well, I have to. I have to be. I have to be honest with you. I have to be vulnerable with you. I, I feel. I feel this anger myself. Not so much in traffic anymore. I used to. I used to do it there, but I, I really don't like the way the world is right now. Uh
5: huh. Yeah. Me too.
4: And I'm in leadership position so I get the brunt of it sometimes maybe more than or maybe not I don't know but I get, I get angry I get frustrated too I too want someone to blame Sometimes I just want someone to yell at thinking that will make me feel better about things Yeah Anyone else And anyone just tired of it all I'm so tired of it all me too wouldn't it be lovely if there was just somebody that we could point our finger at and say, daggone it, you're the one.
5: Yeah, we need a scapegoat like in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Just tie a red ribbon around its horns and send it out.
4: And our world has them, just we have multiple ones and we disagree. So. Jesus frustrated his disciples in response to that question. He probably frustrates us. He refused to play the blame game.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> what did he do? He heals a blind man on the spot. To say that he, he's worthy of sight, had always been worthy of sight, that being blind wasn't about worthiness at all. Neither he nor his parents had sinned, Jesus said. Not in a way that would cause his blindness. But neither is any human being perfect. We're all blind to some degree. That seems to be the point. We're all complicit yep. in wrongdoing and sin. We all make mistakes, we're all responsible. Yep. We're all to blame maybe all those fingers need to be pointed. Maybe they should be pointed at me. And you. Except Jesus. He did not point fingers. He did not point fingers. We think he does. That's the image, the wrong image that people have had of God for far too long. What he did instead was to point the blind man and the blind disciples. They were more blind than the man was right then. He pointed them toward God. Yes. And then not too long thereafter, what did he do? He took all the blame. He took the blame and the shame on himself on a cross. Exactly. Precisely. So we don't have to spend our lives looking for someone else to put it on. Yeah. He did it to free us from that. Now, that doesn't mean, don't get me wrong again, because sometimes in a world in which it's as touchy as it is right now, sometimes people mishear or misinterpret. That doesn't mean that there are not consequences for misbehavior. Of course there are. Of
5: course.
4: And there need to be. But we're talking here what Jesus was talking about with spiritual realities, not legal realities. Jesus wants to open all of our blind eyes to see the God who sees us clearly and loves us anyway. Yes. And who also sees clearly and loves anyway, the people that we are angry with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: My sunglasses, which I took with me on my hike and you can see on occasion when uh, if I'm, if I'm relaxed on the sun are kind of bright yellow, they're a little bit odd, but and on the side I had a, a, a phrase inscribed, I should have brought them along. In Spanish, it says "Vea claramente, see clearly. Or I see clearly. That's my prayer. That's what this glasses are for, to be able to see clearly. Even when the sun is in my eyes and making it difficult, I want to be able to see clearly. Physically, because it's important, but spiritually as well. I just alluded to this. Most people have imagined God primarily as a judge. Someone looking over our shoulders, catching us in wrongdoing and punishing us for it. And therefore we treat, we do this to other people then too. If we think that's it, that's one reason that Christians are not always good conversation partners because we act like the God that we think exists. And Jesus describes a father in heaven who is not like that at all. We know the Lord's prayer, don't we? We pray it, don't we? How is God described there? He forgives our trespasses. He provides our daily bread. He frees us from the temptations of our anger. He delivers us from evil. He restores us to fullness of life because he himself is the life.
5: Yeah. We're together, you okay? Deep breath, this is because right now we're preaching into the big wall right now. So we gotta take some deep breaths. See, As Christians in conversation with others, we seek to follow Jesus way, we seek to embody his truth, and we seek to live his life in all that we say and do. Now together, these three gospel stories, these conversations, show us something remarkable about Jesus' attitude in his interactions with us, right? This is the same attitude the Apostle Paul is encouraging us with in Philippians 2. We are going to read this passage because it's so important. Philippians 2, verse 1. Now, if your experience of Christ's encouragement and love means anything to you, if you've known something of the fellowship of his spirit, in all that it means, in kindness, in deep sympathy, do make my best hope for you come true. Live together in harmony. Live together in love. As though you had only one mind and one spirit between you. Never act for motives of rivalry or personal vanity, but in humility, think more of each other than you do of yourselves. None of you should think only of his or her own affairs, but should learn to see things from other people's points of view. Let Christ himself be your example as to what your attitude should be. For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped, emptied himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature, and being born as mortal man. And having become human, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying, and the death he died was the death of a common criminal. That's why God, God has now lifted him so high and has given him the name beyond all names so that the na- at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow whether in heaven or earth or under the earth. And that is why, in the end, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot there. We're going to be unpacking this in more detail as we move through this series. But for now, let's just notice that this passage offers three aspects of Jesus' attitude toward us that we must also have toward others including our conversations.
4: The first one is that Jesus had certainty. He was a member of the Trinity. He knew everything that God can know. Just an incredible amount of power yep. that many of us want to have as well. And sometimes in our quest for certainty, we're actually being idolatrous. We're wanting to be God.
1: Yep.
4: It's a very temptation offered by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Hey, eat of the tree of knowledge. To know perfectly what is good and what is and, and who is evil uh-huh. and here's the astonishing thing Jesus gave that up to be among us he did he did not consider being God with all of its unlimited power and knowledge that included all the certainty to be something to be held on to Instead, he became a mortal, helpless, unknowing baby who grew up like the rest of us. He had to learn the things. He had to learn how to walk. He had to read his ABCs. He had to learn how to do carpentry from Joseph. He had to learn how to understand scripture, all of it. Just like us.
2: Yep.
4: This is mystery to us. It's like the wind. But he was God, he was also fully human. Now, the human Jesus seems to have known more than other humans, but, but there were some things that he himself admitted he didn't know. For instance, like when he would come back. He uh-huh. said, I don't know that. Angels don't know that. I don't know if the Father knows that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He said he didn't do anything on his own, but only what he saw his Father doing. So if Jesus lived like that, with a little less knowledge, a little less certainty, how much different would our conversations be if we did the same thing?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: He stood confidently in what he knew was certainty.
5: Yes, which was a lot. Yeah, like his identity.
4: He knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That's why we called attention to that. He knew the character of his father in heaven. He knew his mission. He knew what the kingdom of God was like. And he spoke confidently on that. He didn't waver on any of that. He proclaimed it with boldness and with delight. And guess what? So can we. Yes. That stuff is the core of what it is. And we can proclaim it with certainty and delight. Yep. We do it. Joanne and I do it up here. You can too. But he never confused confidence with arrogance.
5: Yes. That connects to the second aspect of Jesus' attitude. That's to be our attitude. And that's humility. Listen, there's a lot we can say and we will say, but just stay with me here. Humility is not weak. Humility is not cowardly. Humility is what Jesus meant when he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Humility is what was prophesied of him. And and Matthew quotes it, quotes the prophecy. The king, Jesus, is coming to you. Kings didn't go to people. The king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Be meek, gentle, humble, not harsh, reactive, and condescending. But you know what? We don't like lowly, do we? We don't want to get low. We'd rather rise high, thank you very much. We'd rather look down on people than stand with them. We assume, as humans, that upward movement is the best movement. We want to climb corporate ladders, be first in line, cream of the crop, top of the list. If, if Chris Poche were here, he'd be singing this Sinatra song, king of the hill or queen. A number one see we're all about ascending as high as we can and then holding tight to everything we can get on the way there do you know that it only takes 11 chapters into the bible for our love of ascent to show itself Genesis eleven four. they got together and started building the tower to ascend up to the highest place and uh, verse 4 Genesis 11, you know what they say? Let us make a name for ourselves. And only three verses later, verse 7, God responds. Come, Trinity, let's go down. And of course, God continued to go down. It's the only place that God can go. God continued descending again and again throughout the Old Testament story, seeking a shared love relationship with humanity, coming down to us. And down again, down again, down again, down again. And they just didn't get it. We didn't want it. We wanted to ascend to the highest place. So what we just read in Philippians 2, then God came down to become human in Jesus, to show us who God really is. Loving creator. To show us who God created us to be. Beloved creatures created in the likeness and image of God. God is God. We are not. And to show us how we're invited to live as we follow Christ in his voluntary descent of love. Watch his attitude in action. He chose not to grasp unto the glory and power of being God. But let go, emptied himself, came down to become one of us, God, in human flesh. So wherever Jesus went, both humanity and God went in him. Where did Jesus go? Down. Humbly down. Until in the last 24 hours of his earthly life, he went down on his knees, to wash his disciples' feet, telling them to do likewise for each other. He went down on his knees in anguished prayer in Gethsemane. He wanted to refuse the cup of suffering. But he said yes to it for us. He went down on his knees under a Roman whip. He went down three times in the streets of Jerusalem on his knees under the weight of all the worst that we humans had or would ever do to each other. He went down under the weight of our distorted desire to ascend to become God, to become all powerful, to think we know everything. He went down under the weight of our refusal to love and be loved like God loves. He went down on his bloody back to be nailed to the cross. And then he went down into death and the grave. And here's the thing. So did we. Jesus took humanity with him to the grave so that when God raised him, Jesus never raised himself, never once. God raised him from the dead so we could be raised with him. Then God lifted him up Ascension 40 days later. Why? So he could descend again in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, not simply to be with us, to be within us. That day, 120 separate individuals were united as one with Christ into one body of Christ in the world, the same body of Christ, and you and I and every other Christian brother and sister ever since has been joined to one body, his body. So should we be surprised that the body of Christ is still being crucified by the powers of this world? How are we supposed to respond? Try to overpower their power? Try to raise ourselves up? No. We're to do what Jesus did. Be fierce in love, so fierce in trusting God who raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago that we trust that he's still raising the body of Christ again and again and again through history and in this moment. Tell you what, the church only looks like it's dying. If it dies in its form, hallelujah, I want to be alive to see him raise it up again to resurrect the body of Christ in glory and us with him in a way that the world will respond like the people in the first century did. In love. How does that happen, folks? When we're willing to let go. When we're willing to let Christ's attitude be in us. When we're willing even to die if that's what it takes so that we might live in the, in the world as the true, living, resurrected body of Jesus. Why? So that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall humbly bow, voluntarily, not coerced, whether in heaven or earth or under the earth, and in the end, so that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lots more there. Do you get
4: it? You know, m- most Sundays I'd be very concerned that it's almost 11 o'clock and we are got... To we got up time. here a little
5: late. We did other things. I don't
4: care this week. You hear the passion in this? This <laughs> stuff matters. It does. And if you agree with that, and I sense maybe there is, because I can feel something in the room here. Um... Hey,
5: if people are spending uh, 15 hours a day in their bubble on listening to stuff on... Online, they can listen for a few more minutes here.
4: Yeah, give us five more minutes, please. And then maybe this is one you share with your friends on social media. I don't know. The last aspect of Jesus' attitude we're going to call attention to very briefly this morning is his compassion. What he did in emptying himself by going down again and again and again was for us. Yes. And so in his conversations, he's always seeking the goodness of others. He's not trying to diminish, demean, or divide. Even when he talked tough, like he did with the Pharisees on occasion, and sometimes tough tough, tough talking to the Pharisees is used as as an excuse by Christians to beat up somebody else and club them over the head. Sometimes Jesus used blunt language to get their attention, but he wanted them to hear and receive the same invitation to the goodness of the kingdom of God that others were responding to. He wanted to get their attention because he loved them. And some of them did respond. One of them was named Nicodemus. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: He was a Pharisee. When Nicodemus eventually got it. He didn't get all the proof he was looking for, but it seems that his heart was transformed and he was still there with Jesus, identifying with him publicly at his crucifixion, responding in compassion to Jesus, just as he had seen Jesus respond compassionately to him and Mm -hmm. to seen Jesus respond with compassion to countless others. Friends, we can disagree with people. What is life without disagreement? Mm-hmm. We need to disagree with people mm-hmm. at a time like this. We can argue with people. We can even have silly arguments if we want. As long as we recognize that they're silly. We can and should hold people responsible and accountable for their behavior. Yep. We can declare with humble certainty what we know to be true. We need to do that. But let's always, always do our conversations with compassion Yes. With the best interests of the others at heart, with a hope and intent for good things for them and for everyone. Good things for everyone. And all means all who are created in the image and likeness of God.
5: Yeah. Okay. This is only an introduction to our new series called Living, Convers- Living Conversations. I think we agree, right? Do we agree that finding a way to talk to each other in meaningful ways is crucial and something God wants right now? Yes. All right. So in the next several weeks, we're going to see how to practically apply this Jesus-inspired attitude to some specific topics that Christians often get into conversations about these days.
4: What is the best pizza?
5: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's... Can I say that? That's silly. Okay. Um, But... Conversations about God and Jesus. Who are they anyway? Well where is God? That that right? Conversations about the Bible. How about conversations about good and evil? When that one includes, dare we say it, religion and politics. We might have some suggestions there. Yeah, but there's no the arguments
4: scriptures. about that stuff. Yeah.
5: Well let's close. Let's close in prayer and blessing. If you would like to join in a prayer, I kind of put this together out of some stuff that just needed to to be said, out of some prayer that I was doing myself. Um, Invite you all in if you would like to pray this together. If not, that's okay. You don't have to. But let's pray this together and then we'll speak a blessing on you, and we'll go out into the world. Ready? Praise Praise Christ, who is our Lord. Praise Christ, Christ, who who emptied himself. Praise Christ, who came came to us, a gentle gentle child. (coughs) Praise Christ, who came to us, a humble
4: servant. Praise Christ, who who came to us, a suffering Savior. (coughs) Praise Christ, who descended into our death. Praise Christ, who was raised by God to glorious life. Praise Christ, who was
3: exalted by God
5: to the highest place. Praise Christ, who still comes to share his life with all who come to him. Praise Christ, who gives us grace to share his life with others. We We will will choose choose to to live as as he did, did, to to let let his attitude be
1: ours, to
4: act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with with our our God. God.
5: Amen? May it be so. And may you go forth with humble hearts. And may the word of Christ richly dwell within you, that whatever you do, in word or deed, you will do all in the name above all names. The name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. 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 Let's do it church.